member in the hospital that I know of, Bird Wyatt, who had uh, surgery for a diabetic sore on um, Tuesday and will probably be in the hospital most of this week. So you all know Bird and can come by. He is in the Coliseum Hospital in room 365, but he would appreciate your prayers as he uh, has a pretty good road to hoe to recover. A sore like this will probably take the better part of two months to heal up. So let me pray for our food and our time together. Father, we're mindful of the many ways you bless our lives and you show your goodness and mercy to us. Now, as we look at your word today, we pray that you would help us to understand its application and its practicality to the way we think and the way we live as followers of Christ. And we pray for Bird Wyatt. We pray, Father, that you would help him to be content over a difficult time in his life and that you would give the, his body the means to recover and to heal. And we pray for all those people that are providing care for him right now, that you would give them a great compassion for Bird as he goes through this difficult time. Now, for every good thing that you bless our lives with, this meal, our fellowship, we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. If you want to turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. Now, Mark is the very first Gospel that was written. But we need to, in a sense, kind of orient ourselves. All of Paul's letters had been written before any of the Gospels were written. Now, to us that seems odd because the Gospels are all in the front and Paul's letters are in the middle to the back. And so we kind of think, well, the Gospels came first. Well, no, the Gospels came last. Now, Mark is the first of the Gospels that was written down. And so Mark is writing this and in reality, this is a new form of literature. There never been a gospel written until Mark writes this gospel. Now, you know, we've got Matthew and Luke and John. And when Luke writes, Luke tells us many by that time had undertaken the task of writing things down about Jesus' life. And Luke tells us that he went on to try to write them out in consecutive order. Well, Mark became the prototype. And most people believe that when Luke and Matthew wrote their Gospels, that they actually had a copy of Mark's Gospel right in front of them. Uh, there's a whole lot that could be said about that, but... I'm trying to create an interest in your thinking for the Gospel of Mark. If it's got this level of priority to it, then we should try to understand exactly what Mark's getting at. Now, I want to take a number of weeks to talk about our own personal devotional lives. What does it mean for us 
individually, privately, to be reading the scriptures for ourselves in light of what we find here, especially in the first chapter of Mark's Gospel. Now, I'd like to begin my reading of Mark's Gospel at verse 21. Jesus has just chosen Peter and Andrew, James and John, and it said they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have we to do, you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, and crying out with a loud voice came out of him, and they were all amazed. So they were questioning among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that we may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Or that, that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now, we're looking at this in relationship to our devotional life. And as we look at uh, this Gospel of Mark, we see that this Gospel begins in verses 1 through, say, verse 11 or verse 13 in the wilderness. If you look up there in, in those verses, you'll see that Jesus is beginning his ministry in what I want to refer to as God's wilderness. So when Jesus begins this ministry, we see that John had, in God's ordination, begun his ministry in what would seem to us a confusing place. Why would 
this ministry, why would God have this ministry begun in the wilderness? It doesn't connect. Well, if if this is where John begins his ministry, we see that in verse 4. In verse 12 and 13, we see that Jesus began his ministry there. In this word, wilderness, is emphasized twice in those verses. What's going on here? What's this all about? Well, the wilderness goes back to the Old Testament. And when we go back to the Old Testament, we see the first of two biblical redemptive events. The first big redemptive event in the, in the Bible is God taking his people out of Egypt. Now, where does he take them as soon as he takes them out of Egypt? Well, he takes them into the wilderness. And we know that they're there for 40 years of time. Now, you see, this whole idea of God having Israel in the wilderness was God was forming Israel into being what is referred to in the scripture as God's son. So later on in the scripture, the prophets will say, God called his son out of Egypt. And he called them and formed him in the sonship in the wilderness. So this whole idea of the wilderness in redemption is the thing that Mark is emphasizing as he begins his gospel. Where is Jesus in his sonship to be formed? It's to be formed by God in God's wilderness. So God calls John to the wilderness to preach. Then he calls Jesus to the wilderness to go to where John is and to be baptized. Now, this is the beginning. This is the beginning of the sonship of Israel. This is the beginning of the sonship of the one who is the true Israel of God, Jesus Christ. Now, when you look at the first verse of Mark's gospel, it tells us it's the beginning of the gospel, and it calls Jesus Christ, and it calls Jesus the Son of God. This is where the gospel's going. So if you want to say, how do I understand Mark's gospel? Well, the first thing you need to know is that Mark is going to take eight chapters. And in the first eight chapters, the goal is that we will understand that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. So when we come to chapter 829, Peter says of Jesus, you are the Christ. That would be the same word as the Messiah. In verses not, chapters 9 through 16, we see the goal is that Jesus would be understood as the Son of God. So we see that in chapter 15, verse 39, where the centurion at the crucifixion, when Jesus dies, says, certainly this man was the Son of God. Now, this is the goal of this gospel, but this gospel begins in this wilderness place where Jesus, you with me? This is where Jesus is going to be 
and in a sense certify within himself the goals of God the Father that he will live himself, live out his life as the Christ and as his son. Jesus learns to live. Jesus learns to minister in the way that the Father has for him through this 40-day experience that is going to take place in the wilderness. In this wilderness, Jesus is going to experience extreme temptations, and these temptations are going to be to move away from a sincere trust in God and to move a ministry into the area of the sensational. And so over and over again, Satan's going to test Jesus, and Jesus is going to come back and say, No, the word of God, my Father says, this is the way I'm to live. And so this whole idea of Jesus beginning his ministry in the wilderness is for him to learn who he is and how he is to conduct this ministry going forward as he has been baptized and as he has been installed in this ministry now that will last for three and a half years. I have a friend named Doug Fulton, passed away about five years ago. Doug's daddy was a federal judge down in South Florida. Doug was a lawyer in Miami and then West Palm Beach and was involved in our church. Doug wanted to be a disciple. He had been converted while he was working in Miami, and his brother had become an Episcopal minister out of being a lawyer, and now Doug really wanted to walk with the Lord, and he wasn't really sure how to do this. Doug went and created for himself, as it were, a wilderness experience. His wife, uh, his wife's family owned and operated the little private golf course that many of you may have seen in Franklin, North Carolina. And so where Doug would go on vacations was with his wife and two children to Franklin. He went up there with them. He was there for about two weeks. Doug did basically one thing other than spend time with his wife and two children. He read the New Testament. I just read the New Testament over, and then he picked up the New Testament and he read it over again. And during that two weeks period of time, he read through the New Testament three, four, five times. He was trying to come to grips with what it meant for him to be a Christian For him to be a young father and a young husband, what it meant for him to be in the law profession, to be the son of a federal, uh, practicing federal judge in that part of of the state of Florida, how was he to conduct himself? There were a lot of tensions in his life that were pulling him to live in one direction, Yet Doug knew he had become a Christian, and Doug wanted to live that in a way that was worthy of the Lord. This 
two-week period of time totally transformed Doug Fulton. When he came back, he was really never, ever the same. In his life of ministry in, in West Palm Beach and in other parts of Palm Beach County, became well known within the Christian community down there as a person that you could go to for wisdom, a person that you could go to for, well, free legal help. Uh, it was a, he was a man that went to ministers and helped ministers in their ministry. And this went on and on and on. But it all went back to this two-week period of time in Franklin, North Carolina, when he sought to understand what was God's will for his life. We need to think like this. We need to stop. We, some of us may be 66. Some of us could be quite a bit younger. But have we stopped long enough to just basically sense from the Lord, from the Scripture, what is it that I should be doing with my life? How should my life go forward? That's what Jesus is doing in the wilderness. Now, I want us to look secondly in the passage that I just read of what Jesus' mission was, what Jesus' ministry was to be, and I want us to look at the distortions that came into that ministry in these verses. Well, Jesus' mission is shown to us in verses 14 and 15 of this, of this passage. That it says in verse, I'm, I'm looking at this trans translation, and I've been looking at my other translation, and the format on the page is totally different. I'm using yours and not mine. So when I look down here, what my eyes see is not what I've been looking at. So that's, that's a bit of a problem. In verses 14 and 15, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. That's Jesus' mission. God the Father has called him to do really one thing. And that one thing is to preach this gospel of the kingdom to all of Israel. And in this preaching of the gospel, that he is to call people to repent of the way they've been living and to believe what God has said is true and to conform their life to that structure of belief. That's what Jesus' mission is. And he continues this mission on you're going to see in the Gospel of Mark from the very beginning to the very end. Now, if that's his mission, what is his ministry? Well, his ministry is seen in verses 16 through 20. 
His ministry is that he is going out and he's finding people like Peter and Andrew. He's finding people like James and John. And he is pouring himself into these people in order to multiply his ministry. That's his his ministry. His mission is to preach the gospel, and his ministry is to multiply himself and others. Now, you might be asking the question, how in the world does that fit my devotional life? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. This is the very beginning of of Mark's gospel. This is the very beginning of the first gospel that was ever written. And the intention that Mark has, now I want to make it a bigger intention than that, behind Mark's gospel is Peter, but behind Mark's gospel and behind Peter is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has structured this gospel introduction out for you and for me. It's there in order to arrest us. It's there in order to set us on a different course than the course that we've been following. And so when we come and we say, well, how does this fit our devotional lives? It's simple. Jesus' mission is to be your mission. Jesus' ministry is to become your ministry. That's what Mark's gospel is intending to accomplish in us and in everyone who's ever read it. What is the ministry of Jesus? Well, the mission of Jesus? The mission of Jesus is to be preaching the gospel and calling people to repent and calling people to believe. I don't think that it would be amiss to say that that is to be the principal ministry of every single Christian that's ever lived. When it says that the Christians went out in the New Testament, it says they went out and they told this story about Jesus everywhere they went. And the problem today in our culture is We've found ways to preach this message that goes over the top of that and misses that. Now, the other aspect, if this is Jesus' mission, what's his ministry? His ministry is that we would either be a disciple or we would be involved in multiplying ourselves in making other disciples. That's the goal here. That's what's going on here in the very beginning of Mark's gospel. And this isn't just the mission and ministry of Jesus. It's to be the mission and ministry of everyone who names the name of Christ in sincerity. Let's stop and look at the distortions. Because when you look at this passage of scripture... 
you see that this is what Jesus went into the synagogue to do in verse 21. Now, isn't it interesting that this is his ministry? So he goes in, or his mission rather, he goes in to this synagogue, and it says he was teaching them. They were astonished by his teaching. He taught as one who had authority and not one of the scribes. And what does it say happened? A demon. A demon. A demon begins to do what? You want me to tell you what he's doing? Raise hell. That's what the demon's doing. By the way, um, have you seen the new Athens um, decals that are people are putting on their cars here in the last few months? I haven't only seen them. Maybe they've been around for years. Have you seen them, anybody? Anybody seen the new one? Athens? It has Athens with a large capital A, and in front of it, it has the word he. So if you put he with Athens, what do you get? Heathen. <laughs> I don't know if you George fans are into that. But that's the new, new sticker. I've seen two different versions of this. He Athens, heathen. What are they saying? This is the kind of stuff that's facing our kids, but this is what's facing us. People want to raise hell. Isn't that what they do in Athens? Look, this demon is on a mission. This demon is on a mission. Can I tell you what the mission is? It's to stop Jesus from his mission. Jesus is preaching the gospel. The demon in the midst is raising hell. So now that the demon's raising hell, Jesus has to deal with the distraction to cast out the demon. Well, what does it seem happened to what Jesus was doing as far as preaching the gospel and calling people to repent and believe? What had happened? The curtain had dropped on that. When the curtain opened, it was with the sensational. That's the distraction. Jesus leaves. He goes into the house of Peter. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. Now the Sabbath is open, over. It's sunset on Saturday. Now the city congregates in front of Peter's home with every imaginable problem known to man at that time. And what's Jesus do? Heal, 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 cast out. Heal, 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 cast out. Heal, 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 cast out. What's Jesus not doing? He's not carrying out his mission. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. Now, all of these things call people for a dis to make some kind of a decision. But the miraculous calls people to make an emotive decision. 
And the gospel calls people to make a personal, rational, and spiritual decision. And the demons in the healing are keeping Jesus from his mission. I just would want to say very strongly to you that we are bothered by many things. Is that fair? We are bothered by many things. We are not. Now, for me to say this, it's like a confession of my past. Whenever a teacher would write on my report card growing up, it would say this. John is easily gotten off task. (laughs) That's what the teacher said. John is easily gotten off task. Well, that means as a preacher, I can relate to you. (laughs) Because you all, and myself, am easily gotten off task. We are distracted by many things. This is not our ministry. This is not our mission. Our mission is to talk to people about Christ. Our ministry is to multiply ourselves, and we're not doing well. What is our devotional life? Look at verse 35. Look what's happening here. Rising up very early in the morning while it was still dark. This is the most fluid way that this sentence can be structured. If you were to go and get another translation of the Bible and read that sentence, you would say, that is one awkward sentence. It is really emphasizing Jesus got up like long early in the morning. And the idea is Peter got up while it was still dark, and when Peter got up and it was still dark and he was looking for Jesus and it was still dark, he couldn't find Jesus. What is the sense of this? Jesus is going to be what with his heavenly Father? What's the word? Alone. What does a devotional life begin with? It begins with you and your heavenly Father, period. We see that right here in Jesus. Now, I want you to look at the next phrase here in this passage. And he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, the idea of a desolate place is a um, kind of a technical. In verse 145, it has a very similar phrase. Um, He went out into a desolate place, uh, a solitary place. Uh, Literally, it's an unpopulated place. Now, the idea is that it's the exact same language in the very beginning of this gospel, a wilderness place. Where did Jesus go out to be alone with his father? He went to seek 
the wilderness experience where his sonship was formed. That's what he did. Instead of something just that is rather easy to understand, the idea is that he is going back to experience again that which formed him and set him on his course and direction to ask his father to direct his path so that he could get back on preaching and calling people to repent and calling people to believe and to reject the way of the sensational. That's what Jesus is about. We have it in our mind that the sensational is going to get people. It might, but it won't call them to a rational commitment to God the Father in Jesus Christ. That comes through preaching. It comes through our witnessing verbally to people. And that's what Jesus has gone back to understand. Preaching, witnessing, entails a demand for a decision. People seeing ministry go on, it may demonstrate to people that the kingdom of God has come near. It can do that, but it will not bring people to a cognitive decision that they are going to follow Christ. Repentance and belief is the only thing that's going to qualify a person to actually personally participate in the kingdom of God, to have the benefits of Christ. Now, when we look at this passage of Scripture, we see that the crowds had made their decision. Peter is looking in that morning experience because the crowds have already come. They're already there. They're wanting a show. They're wanting to be healed. They're wanting what they want. Jesus, because he had this time away with his father, has renewed his call. He knows that his mission is to preach, and he knows his ministry is to multiply disciples. So he says, we're going to go somewhere else. To the disciples, his ministry, we're going to go over here. So he takes his ministry away from the clamor, and he says, we're going to go and follow the mission, and we're going to preach and teach. And that's what they do. Our devotional life is meant to keep us on task. The task is the winning of the world right here. And the way that we're to do it is to be a disciple and to work to multiply ourselves as disciples. So we do that, we're following the direction of Mark and the direction of the Holy Spirit we will find that that way is the way that will change our culture. But it won't be changed to the sensational. Let's pray. Now bless us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we look at this and as we wrestle with this, because this is critical. 
in the day and age in which we live. We see things like Athens being said that it's heathen, and it grieves us. Um, we want to see Athens be a place that's safe for our young people to be educated, not a place where they go to hell. We want this to be true of our city. Help us to see that we have got to get our devotional life in line with Jesus's, in Jesus's mission, in Jesus's ministry, and help us to do this by your Holy Spirit's power. Amen.